0: Welcome to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the worldwide leader in refund protection. If you offer your guests a live experience, tickets, or any other thing where life can get in the way, you should check out Booking Protect to find out how you can offer your customers peace of mind, a better buying experience, and potentially create a new revenue source for your organization. To find out more, visit www.bookingprotect.com. Now, today's episode is one that I was excited to have with you. Um, This person is, I'm sure, someone you have all seen on Twitter and that you probably have seen pop up uh, in banner ads or all over the Internet. It is my good friend Wendy Dees from the University of Miami. Um, We had a really great conversation. We talked about a lot of stuff. We start out by going into... um, the status of sports business education in, in America and where organizations like hers or others are doing things well, where they're not going doing things so well. And Wendy lays out kind of the vision of how the University of Miami program works, and it's one that I think that if you are a younger... Uh, professional thinking about going to a a school, you should really investigate it because they, they spend a great deal of time making sure that you have practical ideas and stuff that you can actually use. And it's not just theoretical or it's just not fluff. I mean, so, you know, that's the first part of it. But then we get into all kinds of stuff about, um, sports marketing. So we talk about uh, the NFL. We talk about Nike and Reeboks. We both date each other because we talk about uh, the Reeboks that we used to wear. Kids, Reebok used to be big. Um, we talk about NASCAR. We talk about baseball. We talk about the global uh, partnerships and the impact of, 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 glo- of soccer all over the world. I think we talk about TV. We talk about the Olympic marketing model. Um, we talk about storytelling. We talk about a whole lot I mean, it was great. I mean, Wendy Dees, if you don't follow her on Twitter at Get These Tweets, if you don't know who she is, I hope this is a great introduction to her. And I think you're really going to dig the conversation because she's awesome. So um, without further ado, here's my conversation with Wendy Dees. I want to welcome Wendy Dees to the Business of Fun podcast. Wendy, thanks for being here. What's happening?
1: Uh, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm so excited to finally talk to you, not in real life, but next best thing.
0: This is almost real life. It's all, or, or depending on how the conversation goes, it could be a little fantasy. Uh, who knows? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I wanted to have you on number one, because I figure it's going to be fun, which, uh, even our little off, uh, off mic uh, chatter has been fun. Um, But there's like a bunch of stuff that I want to cover on, right? Like number one, it's like, you know, you are – when I associate sports – uh, education, management education, higher education. I think of you, and it probably is because of the ad campaign that the University of Miami has run. But I'm always curious right, about and you're this. probably
1: not the only one.
0: Well, that could be worse. I mean, if it was a, my photo on this thing, that would be like definitely turning people away. But since it's you, it's a whole, <laughs> a whole different world. But, you know, you know, so that's one thing, because I'm always interested in the skills and the ideas that people are learning and having access to. And I think, um, you know, some of the stuff that you're doing is really, really helpful and beneficial to to, to kids, especially as they are first starting out in their their careers, um, the other thing I really was interested is in, I know you have a huge background in marketing and sponsorship, and I wanted to mm-hmm. co- cover that because you know you're in Miami, and I would assume that that gives you a great access to not just the stuff that happens in America, but also knowing the South American market is you know feeds into Miami back and forth so much. Um, yeah, you know, so I kind of want to. I guess we'll start by. Um, giving everybody a little bit of the overview of what you're working on at the university of Miami.
1: Okay. Um, well, I'm an associate professor here in sport administration. And like you said, my background, um, from my days in the industry, my previous life, I worked in, um, sports marketing and sponsorship. So that's what I teach here. Um, that's what my, uh, research focus is. So, um, that's what I do. But I think most importantly, you know, my role right now that you mentioned and kind of the way we connected on Twitter. And I think a lot of people, like you said, know me for being the uh, graduate director here for the sport administration program um, for the master's on campus and our, you know, fully online master's program here at the university of Miami. And I run that and, um, you know i love that i meet wonderful people like you on twitter being active you know in the sport industry but um you know the most important thing is keeping our program's name out there and letting people know all the great things that we're doing and So, you know, here at UM, about three years ago, we launched a fully online master's program in sport administration because, um, as you know, and everybody else knows, um, you know, education has been a little bit behind in our customer service and, you know, providing what our students really want, which is access to education on their terms. So as much as I would love all of my graduate students to stop their life and come live here in Miami um, and study in our master's program on campus, and I would love to give them access to all of our sport organizations and connections in Miami. Not everyone can do that, and not everybody wants to do that, nor should they have to. So um, this program has really been phenomenal um, because now we're able to offer that to People all around the country, we have students um, internationally, we have a lot of military students that are studying with us all over. So it's been really awesome to be able to educate and train students and get folks in the industry um from outside of the Miami area now. And so we're doing a lot of that. And I know, like you mentioned the sports business journal campaign that kind of everyone has seen. Um, and hopefully we update that soon so that I'm not the only face of the franchise, but um, it's been really great because it's brought so many students into our program. And um, we're extremely industry focused, which is another thing that you touched on that I think is extremely important um, you know, we want students to learn about research, obviously, but um, I think in higher education, there's been a disconnect between students learning the practical skills that they need um, you know that are changing every day and keeping students um you know trained and and educated with all the latest information and keeping them tapped into the industry whether that's through industry connections or internships or volunteering or you know whatever the case may be and So our online program has really allowed us to offer that, not just to 25 or 30 students willing to move to Miami every year, but now hundreds of folks that are looking to break into this wonderful industry um, and they need to have, you know, that education provided to them on their terms. So, you know, we're really proud of that program and and what we've been able to do with that and the people we've been able to reach.
0: Yeah. And uh, first, first off, Um, I'm always willing to move to Miami. So, you know, like if they'll they'll have me, I'll I'll come. (laughs) It's
1: funny. I do get quite a number of people reach out and either ask about, you know, jobs here or are you hiring or can I work in your program? So I think all the palm tree pictures and boating pictures, you know, kind of help with that. Um, But unfortunately, not everybody can up and move here, even though it is great. I highly recommend it.
0: Hey, I I grew up in Oakland Park, so I you you know in Broward, so I'm like completely I'm sold. Um, Yeah. But but one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and it's interesting because you talked about making sure that the program is adaptable, and I know one of it's not on my podcast, but I think I saw it. We saw it on Twitter or. Um, and You might have been involved in it. I don't know if I got involved in it. But there was this idea, too, about the role of education and helping, the you know, the kids and the people you're teaching, uh, you, you know, prepare them for jobs and p- prepare them for the environment that they're going to be entering in. And you talked about keeping the, you know, your program fresh. How do you, number one, what do you see as your role, right, uh, you know, in educating people? But then number two, how do you keep the stuff fresh when it is constantly changing so much,
1: Great question. Um, I think a lot of that is on us as professors. Um, I think, you know, professors and rightfully so get a bad rap sometimes about, you know, sitting in our office and doing research and and not having any idea what's going on in the industry. And, um, you know, professors are guilty of that. And I know I work extremely hard to stay connected to the industry in keep learning myself, um, to be a lifelong learner, not just on the research side, which is what I'm trained and hired to do, but, um, to keep connected with my industry roots and, you know, always know what's going on in the industry and, um, and stay connected to all the folks who are in the trenches doing what we're training our students to do. So, um, again, I think social media has been really great for that. Um, you know, I still, I stay um, active, you know, on a pretty busy conference schedule every year, going to research conferences, in the industry conferences, doing things, you know, like this and, and talking to people. But then the next step is, is making sure that I bring that back into my classroom. And that I train my students, you know, to do the same thing and give them access to all of these people and, and places that that I've gone to and connected with. So I think the two biggest ways uh, that we do that in our program um, is one, we have what's called a sport industry partnership program with our, you know, graduate students, our ones here on campus. And essentially what we have is we have industry partners who say, you know, hey, we want to interview your students that are coming in for grad school. We're willing to, you know, fund them to a certain degree um, if they will come in and work for us for the year or year and a half that they're in your graduate program. And so it's awesome. It's a win-win-win type of model for us because our on-campus master students come in. Um, They interview with a bunch of the different sport organizations around Miami and find the right fit with the team and and the area that they want to go in. And um, they work full time during the day. Um, and then they come to their classes with us in the evening at 5 p.m. after they've worked all day for their industry partner. Um, and they work for that partner the whole year while they're here. And then the partner funds part of their, you know, master's degree. So, A, we're keeping the students' cost down, which is extremely important. Um, you know, we we have our our ear open to all of those discussions going on about the cost of education and, and is it worth it? And so we feel like, you know, the partners are helping us keep our costs down. The students are getting to work for an entire year in the industry. So every day they're working and then at night they can connect what we're teaching them in the classroom to what they're seeing every day at their job. Um, And then it obviously works well for us because, then we're connecting industry work with the theory and research, uh, you know, in the classroom at night. And then at the end of the year or year and a half, our students have basically been working almost full time. And we feel like they're much better prepared to enter the job market. And that's why we have almost 100% placement rating of our master's students in the job market when they graduate. Um, So we're really trying to you know, not just talk the talk, but walk the walk and have our students immersed in the industry, not just, you know, in one semester in an internship at the end of the program, but the whole time that they're here. Um, And then the other thing that we're doing that has been really wonderful and successful and we're continuing it this year is we do our University of Miami Sport Industry Conference every April. So right before students are getting ready to get internships or go on the job market, whether they're undergrad or master's. Um, is we bring in as many top industry professionals as we can every April for two days. Um, And we have an industry conference for students and young professionals that are looking to either break into the industry or move up or just learn best practices or continue to network. Um, And we've just had some amazing people uh, come and speak uh, at the conference. Um, We've had Greg Norman here talking about entrepreneurship. We had Maria Taylor here last year when our theme was kind of uh, sports media and that side of the industry. Jorge Posada and his wife uh, came and talked about the role of uh, giving back to the community um, as sport industry leaders. And then we had panels on pretty much every topic across the industry. But um, You know, every year we talk about what's cutting edge and we bring in the people working in uh, the industry at a high level to mentor our students and young professionals and network with them and do everything we can in April to give them a springboard to break into the industry or move up and have kind of all the latest, you know, knowledge at their fingertips um, before they go out and start their own careers. So I think those two things are are very unique about our program, but they also speak to the fact that we're not just here having students learn out of a textbook. Um, we're trying to keep them, you know, as active in the industry as possible.
0: Oh, that's great. And this was, that was in no way meant to be an advertisement for what you're doing, but it was, and to give a little context to the reason I asked the question was because, and I don't remember what school, and I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but the the person was saying, oh, you know, we don't, our, our responsibility is just to educate. It's not to help them be prepared for a job. And I was like going, um, no, I, I believe that's wrong. I believe you have to teach people how to learn. And you also have to teach them how to like to look for clues and figure out how to do what they want to do. I mean, I, to me, that seems to be the job. And, you know, so like your answer is very refreshing because it's not just like at the end, we teach them how to take the next step. We help them along that path the entire way, which I think is very beneficial because for me, it's i hate to see the a lot of some of these kids that like they spend a ton of money and then they they have nothing to show for it except for like they have a degree but you know that doesn't guarantee you anything right it's like i mean i think you have said before about the power of networking and making the connections you know and so that's like really uh, you know to me that's really great to hear
1: Yeah. And you bring up a great point and it's the great debate between education and industry. And there have been articles written on it. I've seen (laughs) heated arguments on, you know, Twitter and it's great. We're having this discussion because there are some folks on the higher ed side that say, you know, we're not here to do job training because every job is different. We can't train students for every job and that's not what we're here to do. We're here to teach students, um, You know, we're in higher education to teach students to be critical thinkers, to be creative thinkers, um, to be innovative, to, you know, to be lifelong learners. Um, And we're here to do that. We're not here to do job training. And then folks in the industry say, you know, well, what are kids going to school for and selecting these different majors and especially why are they getting graduate specialized degrees if they're going to show up to the front door and they're not prepared to do the job that I need them to do. So I would argue that we're here to do both. We're here to teach students to be critical and creative thinkers. We're here to open their minds to all the different possibilities that are out there, um, you know, to solve problems, you know, not just to do a job when they show up to the door, Um, But I also think, especially at the graduate level, when students say, I want to work in the sport business industry and I want a graduate, you know, degree in that area, um, we do need to teach them what's going on in the industry right now and what skills they need and what strategies companies are using. And we need to teach them about things that are important right now, whether it's, you know, analytics or uh, you know, media or, you know, finance or whatever. So I think it's difficult for us. But I think there is, there's a balance there to do that. And, you know, I think at Miami, that's a big part of what we do. We're a research institution, and that's not going to go away. And we expose our master students to that. Um, but at the same time, we make a concerted effort to connect them with industry folks, let them get industry experience and training so that they do show up at your door. And, you know, they have a foundation of, um, they have a skill set that's a foundation to do the job that you want them to do. So, and I certainly want to, to make sure that I say that I know there are other programs out there doing this. We're not the only ones. These are, these are our, um, You know, these are our processes or, you know, the the sport industry program or the conference or these are ways that that we're providing that. And I'm not saying it's the best way or the only way or we're the only ones, because one of my biggest mentors is uh, Bill Sutton at University of South Florida. And he's very much um, a proponent of students having industry education in addition uh, to research. And and I trained under him and probably a lot of what I do is a reflection of of his mentorship and his philosophy. We're similar in that. And, you know, he's been at other programs uh, that have done that. So um, we're not the only ones. Uh, but like you said, being in Miami, being in a big sports and entertainment market allows us to do a lot of creative things and to try a lot of, you know, different things and work with great partners. The sport organizations down here in South Florida are wonderful, and UM has great relationships with all of those teams. We have a lot of alums there, so that helps. Um, But certainly everyone has been receptive to working with us on, you know, all different ways that we can get our students, um, you know, involved in research and involved in industry
0: yeah and I, you know I'm not here to pick favorites on any of these programs or anything, but I you know I, I could certainly say that between you and what you're doing and what Bill's doing, um, people could do a lot worse because I, to me, the most important thing is if you are doing research and you have the ability to apply it, you know, in the real world, it makes your research more effective. And then the kids, right, like that are coming to learn from you, they should know how to do both, right? Because that's, I mean, that's just life, right? I mean, what do I, what am I, who am I? I'm a consultant, right, at this point. And so what do I do? I spend enough, a lot of time researching stuff and then apply, and then finding clients that allow me to apply. It. I mean, you know, so, I mean, I think it's just great. And, um, you know, so, but, you know, to, you, you do make a great point that there, you know, that there should be application on both sides. And, and, it, and it's, it's, I think it's great what you guys are doing, so. Um, yeah, but now let's let's change let's change course Now that we're done with the, uh, the unintended advertising part of this thing and let's get let's, let's, talk, <laughs> let's talk about some sponsorship and marketing stuff. Um, Great. The, the first thing I want to ask you about is because this week, I believe there has been this statistic floating around, which to me, it's a marketing statistic uh, that says something about the NFL having 71 of the top 100 uh, live, broad, live TV broadcasts um, in in the country last year. Which is great, right? And uh, I think the the there's two sides of the issue, right? Um, you know, one side's like going, oh my God, the NFL is still crushing it. Uh, the NFL is um, killing it. Like all you naysayers should go pound sand. And then there's the other side of the pe- are, of people who are saying um, something, maybe not that the NFL is not doing a great job. They're saying oh, you need context to these numbers, right? And to me, it's a marketing right. issue. Um, so I'm kind of curious, where do you fall? in this argument about uh, the all-or-nothing dominance of the NFL.
1: I love that you brought it up because it's absolutely um, – it well, it's a great thing to talk about because we're starting football season, so sexy topic, and everybody will tune into the podcast, right? Try to be nothing but, uh, but relevant uh, also, here. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know exactly uh the conversation that you're talking about because again, I see it all the time on uh on social media and everybody's everybody's discussing it. So, yeah, so the NFL, you know, does have whatever 71 out of the top, you know, 100 broadcast and so you can't deny certainly that it's still one of the most popular things in this country for people, you know, to watch on TV and Yes, that's indicative of the fact that, yes, it's still popular and they still have, you know, great ratings, except maybe when they go up against the Olympics. But um, the context that you're talking about, I think, from the marketing side is this idea of, okay, just because we're on top, we shouldn't be complacent. And I think that's where marketers look at these numbers differently. Right. So. I'm really old, and this is going to date me, and then everyone's going to know I'm an old, crusty professor. But, I'm probably older, um, so
0: it's totally fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, so back in the day, whenever I grew up, Reebok was dominating the sportswear market, right? And so I kind of relate it to you know, what happened with the demise of, of Reebok and, and Nike's kind of rise to prominence is that, You know, there were people probably sitting up in in high towers somewhere when Reebok was on top of the world saying, oh, yeah, you know, we're still selling way more shoes than, you know, every other sportswear company out there, even though numbers are down this year. And so I think that's kind of this debate with football that, you know, the NFL still has the top broadcasts, you know, every year, which means people are you know, still tuning into football and people still like watching football, maybe better than a bunch of bad sitcoms out there on, you know, Monday night or, um, Thursday night or whatever. But as a marketer, anytime you're seeing a decline, even if you're still sitting on the top, I think there's reason to be concerned, right? So, um, you know, the same, like I said, the same thing happened with Reebok. I'm still, I'm sure, you know, year after year, they were still selling more shoes than everybody else. But if you look back and your own ratings are declining, um, you know, compared to previous years, it's better to compare yourself to yourself if you want to stay on top, because that's where you identify, you know, chinks in your armor, even if you're the dominant product in the, in the category. So, I think the NFL has issues that they need to deal with. We all know that they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot with the whole kneeling thing. And and whether or not that's causing any issues with ratings, I don't think anyone's put any numbers to that. I think everyone's just speculating that that's the big elephant in the room, that and you know, concussions and injuries. And and I think there's been more numbers put to the dangers of football than to the politics of football. And I just say that because we have seen studies where people are showing that, you know, participation in football at the youth levels is declining. And, you know, clearly there's a scare out there with how dangerous football is. Um, you know, then all your all your diehards and traditionalists are saying, "Well, it's getting harder and harder to tune in to watch because I don't know what a foul is, and I don't know what a catch is, and I don't know if the refs know what it is, and the rules are changing every year." Um, and so, I think that's really going to be more of an issue um, than the politics, or at least until there's numbers put. Uh, Behind the ratings of football and any decline related to politics, um, you know, we're not going to know. But certainly going back to what you said with the ratings issue, the NFL still got higher ratings than everybody else. But really, the bigger issue is how is the NFL doing year to year in comparison to themselves? Um, And so I think that's what they need to keep an eye on.
0: Right, I mean, you, you know, you can't argue with the, the statistic that says seventy-one of a hundred. Right, I mean, that, that's you know, that shows dominance in that medium, you know. And I think you you brought up a very good point, which is that you know, it's not one thing that chips away at any of this stuff. Um, you know, it's it's an accumulation of a lot of stuff, right? It's not just the concussion thing; it's the domestic violence stuff and the ill, you know, ill poorly handled nature of that. You know, I know for a fact, like having done a lot of political work living in DC over the years that most of the stuff with the, uh, with the, um, the anthem and the kneeling, as far as like its impact on ratings is probably overstated, Um, you know, and, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's just the accumulation of things. and, And to me, you brought up Reebok and Nike, which I had the the Shack pumps, so that'll date me as well. Uh, as like a kid, you know, I used to love those things. Um, it also reminds me of some of the challenges that Major League Baseball is uh, facing, right? Because I'm sure that we both remember when Major League Baseball was extremely dominant, right? And there was like no one near them as far as cultural influence and you know attendance and you know re- you know all these things, right? And then pretty quickly. What was the national pastime has now fallen back to fourth, uh, third or fourth place in, in you know, and as far as cultural re- re- relevance, has absolutely no cultural relevance, right? You know. Yeah, it's and, the
1: national pastime could be esports next year, the way we're going. So let's be honest. Yeah,
0: <laughs> which I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't even I didn't even see this because I'm curious to you know you do a lot of research and you're a, a marketer, right? So. Uh, This the sort of um, wavering up and down nature of sports, like the you know it. To me, as somebody who doesn't do as much research as you, my question to you is: as as a marketer, you know, what do you think's driving some of this? You know, sort of like uh, the less there's less loyalty uh, as far as like from sport to sport or like the changing consumption patterns. Because I don't personally buy. The thing that like it's all just demand-based, like consumers are just so much different. While I know that's true, I also believe that it is a marketing challenge and it's one that's bred out of the idea that uh, a lot of short-term thinking. So I'm kind of curious about your opinion on this.
1: Well, I'm glad you you brought it up just a minute ago, Dave, because this is another thing that people need to think about with the whole NFL debate is just the overall – immense fragmentation of, you know, the sport industry and just having all sports available all the time and so many options. And, you know, we can just access almost any sport we want at any time on so many different platforms that I'm not, I'm not even a millennial. I mean, I guess I'm close, but I'm not a true millennial. And, um, you know, I think about my own consumption pattern, and I work in this industry, this is the business I'm in. And, you know, I live and die this stuff every day. And I think about how my consumption pattern has changed dramatically just in the last few years. And it's a prime example of what's happening to everyone. So I mean, I used to be the person who would come home every afternoon and you know, for two or three hours in a row would just consume all the, you know, sport media shows in the afternoon, you know, so, you know, I'm watching, um, you know, around the horn and pardon the interruption and, and then sports center and then sports center again, and kind of catching up on all of that right before all the sports started at night. And, you know, I watched all of that stuff every single day and sports center in the morning. And now I don't watch any of that. And I get all of that in real time on my phone and I want to know what's going on when it happens and everybody else does too. And then, you know, when I'm on the go, if I can watch something live on an app on my phone, I'm like, okay, well, I don't need to rush home and get in front of the TV. I'm going to watch this right here. And I want to have multiple screens. And so this dramatic and very quick, you know, change in our consumption patterns, and you know, especially all the different forms of media that we can consume, and the different ways we consume it, and everything being in real time. Um, I think it's just shifted much more quickly, and the technologies progress so much faster than marketers in these leagues and and organizations were prepared for. And so, again, with the NFL and and TV ratings you know, I think underlying, it's not as much that, oh, people aren't as interested in the NFL or the politics or the, you know, dangers of it. Those things are playing a part. But it's also just, I have so many more options. I don't have to sit and wait around for Monday Night Football, you know, to come on. And there's so many other things I can watch or, you know, I don't have to watch it on TV and I can stream it and all of these different types of things. And so, um, we're we've just oversaturated consumers um, with the product, and you're going to see ratings go down because everybody's not going to tune into everything all the time, everywhere, um, and so marketers are are having to adapt to that on the fly.
0: Yeah, and it, it's interesting you brought it up in the content, uh, the context of how much stuff we're trying to throw at people, right? Because. I, you know, I have the belief that too that you you there is a point where you can overwhelm people with things, and it's bared out in a lot of the, um, you know, like neuromarketing and like psychological studies that we do of consumers, which is like if you get overwhelmed with things, then the natural way that your brain deals with that is by shutting it down and you just say no, right? And and I have to think that a little bit of like. the you know, clickbait, and kind of like trying to control every second of every day, with different content and different forms, is causing some of these things to to, to happen because you know there, there's just too much at a certain point, right? And I think it's too much, and then the quality goes down. You know, and I think one of the one of the problems is that you know there's so much stuff, but how many times? I mean, God for God bless Skip Bayless, right? But like. <laughs> Listening to this guy, it, it, it'll turn you off to sports because he's saying ludicrous things, right? Like, who can who can argue with, like, how dominant LeBron James is, right? And, you know, and and I use that as an example just because there's so much of that stuff, right? Like, everybody has to have a hot take. And it just seems that, you know, it creates an environment where there's just so much that, like, consumers are overwhelmed. And, uh, you know, and, and then the storytelling aspect of it, which is where I was trying to lead us here, was – you miss that opportunity to build the narrative around your team, right? Because I know if we go back and we talk, we, we touched baseball just a second ago to me, the most, the, the the most incredible thing about baseball is that it's this thing that takes up six, six and a half months of the year. Right. And it's not, it's not a short story, right? It's not a, uh, you know, it's not a song, it's a novel, right? And, 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 you know, there's ebbs and flows and there's, you know, narratives that develop over the course of the year. And, you know, the same sort of applies to most of the sports, but if you don't take the time to develop that storytelling mechanism about your sport and, like, why it's important to be engaged over the course of a season, to me as a marketer, it's a missed opportunity because it's the stories that we attach ourselves to. Um, you know, it's the connection with players and teams and the history and the legacy and, like, the hopes and dreams and aspirations of a season that really go, you know, that have the, you know, that pull us closer together. And, you know, if we go back and look at the NFL, um, and this is major, they probably took their lead from Major League Baseball, where it's like we're commoditizing attention. Um, I don't know what your opinion is on that, and I don't even know if I really asked a very good question. But I'm kind of you know no, curious I, about that from you know from your point
1: I, of view. I completely get where you're going with that, and um, as a sponsorship researcher and someone who's done a lot of research in NASCAR, which is probably um, one of the most sponsorship laden sports out there, which is why I started you know researching it because I was so interested in sponsorships and it's you know the best place to to study that. Um, the point you were making about storytelling as a driver of marketing is I think one of the biggest issues that NASCAR has had in its recent, you know, transition or, or, you know, people are saying massive decline um, is that, you know, NASCAR has had four to six of its biggest stars retire within two years of each other. And it was a very, it's a sport driven by, star power. And that worked really well for a long time. And, you know, numbers were, you know, blowing up and, and I don't think NASCAR took the time to make sure that the new guys that were going to be the the next generation of stars in that sport had their stories told. And so you know when the Dale Earnhardts and the Jeff Gordons you know and the Tony Stewarts um, were becoming big stars, it wasn't in the social and digital age yet. So we just learned about all those folks through TV and that worked. but that's not how it works now. If you're not telling the stories of these players, if you're not Telling the fans about rivalries if they're not experiencing that. If your biggest stars are not active on social, where people know the ins and outs of their lives, and people are almost more interested today in the athletes and their lives and all the stories and content behind the scenes than they are the actual game. And that's completely evident with platforms like, you know, Barstool and Bleacher Report blowing up because they're providing so much content away from the game and people are consuming it at massive levels. And so that just shows that now that we have all of these uh, marketing technologies and, and platforms that let us into every aspect of sports, even the non-sport related part of it, that's what people want to know. And so I, you know, I call this like the Olympic marketing model, because this is what the Olympics has done since, you know, the dawn of time. Olympic athletes, you don't know them, you don't even get introduced to them until right before they compete, oftentimes in the summer or the winter Olympic Games, unless obviously you're someone who follows that particular sport, snow skiing or curling or track and field or whatever, but all of these sports that don't get any TV time until the Olympics, most of us don't know these athletes until right before they're competing. And the Olympics always did the most beautiful job of telling people's stories and sharing about their lives and you knew everything about these athletes and you learned it in a week or two leading up to the Olympics. And by the time these athletes took the stage, you knew so much about them and the storylines drove you to the TV because you couldn't wait to watch that athlete who came from nothing, whose parent just died last month, who, you know, barely scraped by, you know, financially to get their training. And now they were competing for a gold medal against their arch rival over in you know, Russia or in Europe or wherever. And you couldn't wait to watch them take the field and see if they won. And you didn't know them two weeks ago. And so I think the sports that get that TV time, the big four and all the team sports, they kind of take that for granted that we know who these athletes are and they've stopped telling the stories and stopped, you know, giving us access to all of that And then with all these other options, we lose interest. So now NASCAR's got, it's one league, I'm using it as an example, has all these new drivers that we really don't know anything about. And if we knew their background and their story and their rivals and and who they were, then we'd probably tune in on Sunday to see if they won or, you know, if they got in a big wreck with their arch rival. But I don't know who their arch rival is. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they came from. And I'm someone who was consuming at a very high level a year or two ago But my interest has dropped because I don't know much of anything about the people uh, participating. And that's a huge driver of sport today is knowing all of those stories. And we're not doing a good job of storytelling, even though we have all the best social and digital platforms to do that. I think that's why the NBA is doing such a great job because they're a star power, a star driven league. And, You know, you're just getting fed information and and stories and things off the court on these players all the time.
0: Yeah. And you bring up something and I didn't even think about it until you started talking about this. A good example of what you talked about with like the, you know, number one, wanting to know people's stories, the Olympic marketing model and a bunch of these other aspects of storytelling was the World Cup this year. In Russia, which mm-hmm. I know for like when you're talking about America, they're going, oh, it's going to be a disaster. And then that when the ratings and everything came back, it was people paid attention. Uh, a, great, a greater deal than anybody would have expected. I, I can only speak for myself where uh, watching the British, the England, the, the England team was like appointment viewing for my family because we've um, become big Premier League fans, which I'll bring up in a second. But Paul Pogba who was just one of the stars of the French team, was mm-hmm. very, it was no, like, you know, he, he he would post videos of his trip back from the game, wherever their match was, and these things took off, and it was like, really, you, you felt like you knew Paul Pogba better, right? And he's, in theory, one of the most identifiable players in the world, right? So the, the fact that, like, even though you really know who Paul Pogba is, and you probably have a certain amount of knowledge about him, it still means that, like, there's more you can learn, right? So, like, he, you, you might think, oh, everybody knows everything in the world They want to, about Dwayne Wade. There's still more you could learn about Dwayne Wade, right? The same goes for LeBron James or, or even lesser star, you know, stars that might be considered lesser. I don't know if they are or not, but maybe like Chris Bosh, right, who was always kind of in the shadow of the big three when they were in Miami. There's always something people want to, they want to know more. They want to feel an attachment to people. I mean that's like the whole thing, right? At least to me.
1: It absolutely is. Every athlete has an incredible story to tell. Some athletes like telling those stories and that's why they have huge followings on on social media and that's why, you know, sponsors, you know, love these athletes that are so skilled at social media. Some of them it's because of some training, some of it's because it comes natural to them, but even the athletes that um Even the athletes that aren't as comfortable telling their story, um, you know, if the teams, you know, take hold of that and and kind of, you know, get their story out there and and help them with that or lead the charge in getting their story out there, that's what attaches us to people. And, um, you know, Giannis is a great example um, in the NBA. I mean, everyone knows who the Greek freak is now, and, you know, when he first, uh, you know, was signed. No one knew who he was, and and now everyone or most people around the NBA are familiar with his story. And it's incredible, and his personality is, you know, amazing. And and you learn about his journey, and then you know what he's doing now in the community. And and granted, it helps that he has incredible, you know, play on the court, and he's you know developed into a tr- tremendous player. But, um, you know, the marketing now. You know, he's the the centerpiece of of the marketing plan. And it's because, you know, he was telling his own, you know, story through social media, and then the team was rallying around that. And now you've got this huge star. Um, and it's all because we all know his story now, and it's incredible. And so those are the types of things that teams really need to be doing is helping athletes tell their story because that's what, You know, brings life to a league, and yes, we all love watching great, you know, athletic play. But when you know what's going on with the players off the court, it makes it so much more intriguing. All it is is bringing the reality TV phenomenon to sports. I mean, if you think about all the
0: terrible. It shouldn't sports be the ultimate? Shouldn't that be the ultimate reality TV? it I would, is. I would hope so. It, ab-
1: it absolutely <laughs> is. I mean, it's actually it ends up it ends up being, you know, this magical combination of both because we already know that sports is kind of like the the last product that people want to watch live, you know. It's like some 90 uh, plus percent of you know t v that's watched live is sports, so people it 's the one thing people still want to watch live that they don 't want to d v r and watch later, and on top of that, when you add that kind of reality t v component that there's all these stories and there's all these narratives and you know there's all these um you know storylines and and dramatics and everything in sports, when you combine that with the fact that people like to watch it live, um, you know, it's incredible. But I don't think that some of the leagues and some of the teams are realizing, you know, the power that storytelling can do for their marketing. You know, they're focusing more on these things like politics off the, off the field or, you know, what are these – ticketing strategies to get more people in the door or, you know, crazy promos that, you know, work for a night or two or a season or whatever. Um, but really, the the strongest driver to keep people interested in sport or in anything, um, you know, is following, you know, people's lives and, and what they've gone through and, and how they've, you know, succeeded in spite of all of these things and Everybody has a story to tell, and everybody's story is different, and that's what keeps it exciting and fresh.
0: Yeah, no, and that's, um, you know, to, like the way you described it it, it, it reminds me of sort of the lead question that I bring to everybody, and it doesn't matter if I'm working with people in sports or wherever. It's what is the value? that we want to create for our customers or our market. And then understanding that, and I think when you're talking about all these promotions and these ticket you know, these sales ideas and these things that are like sugar rushes, you know, all of these failures and these challenges lead back to a misunderstanding of what the value is between the sport, the team, the players, the leagues, whatever. And the customers, the consumers, the fans. And it's just like it's a disconnection. And I think, you know, I know because now we're getting long in the tooth on this thing, there's a contrast that I, I, I want to ask you about because I, I think one side does it very well. And then the other side I know is challenged on it. And so over the last year or so, I've become, along with my son, who's eight, uh, big fans of the Premier League. And the Premier League seems to do to take all these things and everything is built around the story right you have the maryside Dar- derby you know between liverpool and man u you have the uh london derby right you have derbies for everything right like and everything's built around the rivalries and the players and the history of these venues and you know everything builds you know, builds off of each other right which is i think exactly where it needs to be because number 1 Sports usually is passed down from a generation to generation, right? Like, you know, my, my son loves Alabama because I went to the University of Alabama. He loves the Mets because, unfortunately, I love the Mets. Um, you know, all, <laughs> all of these kid. things going on, right? And then you compare what the Premier League is doing um, with what Major League Baseball is doing, where basically at the All-Star Game, it felt like Rob Manford, the commissioner, rolled the bus over Mike Trout. Um, you know, and... And I know that you use the Greek freak as an example, but I know I live in D.C. and Bryce Harper is one of the most, should be one of the most marketable assets Major League Baseball has. And they should, and because he's out everywhere here, I mean, you you can't avoid him in D.C. Um, You know, it's, you know, I don't even know how to phrase the question right, because it's just like, How can you be so disconnected from the thing that, like, uh, that you just don't recognize that the storytelling aspect of it is so powerful and that all marketing really is is an exchange of ideas? And then, like, so because so much of this, these challenges and, and failures that are happening is because of the missing link between, like, going marketing is just an exchange of an idea. And instead, they, it seems everybody's falling back on the idea that advertising is marketing, when advertising is a tactical thing and marketing is a strategic thing. Um, you know, it, uh, you know. I, again, not, not the most graceful question I think I've ever asked.
1: Yeah, well, it's not just it's not just Premier League soccer worldwide. Um, you know, is far beyond, I think, where we are. And that's evidenced by, you know, the amount of uh, fans that they have. We were just down in uh, Brazil over the summer working on some some global partnerships down there with universities and and teams. And we went around and spent time with one of the biggest soccer clubs down there. We were spent a couple days with Flamingo and we spent a couple days with Crusado and two just huge soccer clubs in, in Brazil. And I mean, these teams have, 50, 60 million fans, um, you know, and, and the whole soccer model down there there is different and I won't get into that, but these fans have to pay a fee to be associated with the team. And they do that to the tune of 50, 60 million people. And just like you said, the biggest thing that we gleaned from that, um, Is that the athletes and the team are so accessible. And so, like you said, the fans get to know. Um, you know the players so well, and the team so well, and everything about the history and the story is told constantly to where the fans feel like family members. I mean they know the club inside and out, and then kind of you know to to move the the conversation forward you you know mentioned sponsorship earlier and that 's my you know, that's near and dear to my heart. And I think that's why, you know, people are always asking me, well, oh, all, all, all the ratings, you know, for, for sports seem to be going down with the exception of, you know, some leagues and attendances going down. But yet the sponsorship numbers are are staying up or, or increasing each year. And how is that possible? if If people aren't watching as much, then why are sponsors, you know, not going away? Well, like you and I were just saying, sponsors have gotten so great at storytelling and they know that that's what the whole key to sponsorship is, is telling the story about the brand and to connect it in the consumer's mind with how that story fits perfectly with the team, you know, and how the team and the sponsor together are going to make the experience better for the fans and and do that, you know, through the product and so, or with the product. And so, Sponsors have been doing this now for a long time and that's essentially what activation is it's just the story come to life. And so, you know, you made a great point about advertising being tactical and marketing and especially sponsorship being strategic and being, you know, a long-term, you know, part wound into the the team's history. They they wind in their own story. And so sponsors have gotten really good at this, and they realize that sport is the best platform to tell stories and to show how the brand fits into that and how their brands make sports better and makes fans' lives better. And so I think that's why even with ratings declines and even with fragmentation, sports always has the story, and now it has so many different platforms for sponsors to use to tell their story, and there's, these brands are so good at it that you know the eyeballs can move to different areas of the sport industry, but they're still there. The stories are always critical, and as long as the brands know how to do that well, sport is always going to be the best place for them to promote using storytelling, and there are some brands out there that are really brilliant at it. Um and, and I think me, that's what sponsorship fascinates me most.
0: yeah, and let me ask you this too, because you bring up at least in the way that you were laying out the answer, it brings up an interesting point that I you know I'm curious if you agree with me on this too, is that we become a little all consumed with the absolute number of people that are viewing you know a game or following us on Twitter or you know liking or clicking or doing something. On you know any platform that we're using as an activation point or as an engagement point, and sponsors are still spending more money, or there's you know their their spend is going up, and it doesn't necessarily because the the numbers are absolute numbers are going up. It's because the people they're reaching are the most relevant, and I think you know at least for me and you tell me if I'm wrong. Sometimes the most important thing is not necessarily the absolute number; it's the number of people who are willing to take action who are willing to do what I want to do. You know, a smaller, more engaged audience is much better than a large, uh, you know, apathetic audience. You know, and I, and, and I know that, that that's sort of something I have known for my entire career. Um, and But I'm curious to make sure that, like, I'm testing this assumption and I'm not completely baseless.
1: No, absolutely not because um it was just last week sometime, you know, I was reading this article and I tweeted about it that um there was an article about um you know, how many soccer clubs over in Europe could go the whole season, you know, without having anyone in the stands and still generate revenue. And so it's exactly what you're talking about that you know, we have to think about sports and the fact that it's not just the live audience, those numbers can go down and sponsors and advertisers and teams can still make money because people are consuming it, you know, in a high, uh, at a high level elsewhere. And so, like you said, I, I may not ever go to the stadium, um <laughs> Miami's a great example a lot of our fans have never been to the stadium they've never been on campus and and have never been to Coral Gables but like you said you know we have a rabid fan base and people who engage and you know, people who purchase and and do things in other ways that are profitable and that, you know, interact and engage with, you know, our sponsors and, you know, our media and all of that. And they're not necessarily ever going to show up in the stadium. And that's the point the article was making about, you know, these soccer organizations is that, you know, they have fans everywhere, everywhere around the world and, and media has gotten to be you know, so important and so big that the stadium and the stadium's, you know, degree of being full is not an indicator of how well your organization is doing or how profitable you are, even though on TV, that's kind of how everyone's gauging your success. Um, And so I think we have to be careful about looking just at attendance numbers or TV ratings and saying, oh, well, a certain league or a team is in decline or in despair because that's certainly not the case.
0: Yeah, and I think that's like a uh, good point. You know, that wraps up like our – where we started when we talked about the NFL is context matters, right? It's not a – there's no all or nothing Uh, number or statistic or guideline that's going to prove or disprove anything i think that the health of any league team organization no matter what area it's in it's you know there's not going to be one telling statistic it's going to be an accumulation of a lot of different things you know at least that's what it seems like to me all the time
1: yeah and at the end of the day you know Everything now is about relationship marketing. So whether you're marketing to your fans or, you know, B2B to your sponsors or with your media partners, um, like we've said, you know, building a relationship with folks and, you know, telling those stories over the long term, all of those things are, you know, what's going to be at the heart of you know, marketing going forward, because the fans have and and consumers just have too many options and, and too many other places out there where they can turn their attention and their dollars if you're not building, um, you know, a long term relationship with them.
0: Well, I don't want to keep you any longer because I've kept you a very long time. Uh, I want to uh, thank you for doing this. And where can I point people towards so they can find you more? Besides the uh, landing, uh, all of the ads that the University of Miami does for you. (laughs) Oh well. um, Yeah. Start with a joke.
1: joke. (laughs) I'm easy to find on uh, Miami.edu. That's our university uh, page. Um, My email is on there. Wds at Miami.edu. My Twitter handle, which everyone seems to love and think is is pretty interesting. I'm at Get These Tweets. And I'm really active there, so we can continue the conversation on social media or if anybody has questions, they can email me and um, just always happy to work with any industry partners or um, you know any teams, leagues, anyone wanting research done also i'm I'm happy to to talk about that as well.
0: Yeah no I, I, and I encourage everybody to follow you on on the Twitters um, because you're you know you always have. Uh, provide thoughtful tweets along with uh tweets of golfing and vacations which are fantastic Um, absolutely (laughs) yeah if you're if
1: you're not here for the sports biz stuff there's usually a good boating picture here and there that looks Uh, nice so it's
0: especially welcome in the winter when at least i can go wendy's having fun so
1: (laughs) yeah everyone gives me a hard time about them when i post them in february so
0: i don't i just am jealous so but um wendy thank you so much for doing this
1: Awesome, Dave. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me.
0: I want to thank my guest, Wendy Dees, again, for taking the time out of her schedule to talk with us about all the things she's working on at the University of Miami, um, the state of sports business, uh, sports marketing, and all kinds of other great stuff. I hope you dug the conversation. Again, to find Wendy, follow her on Twitter at Get These Tweets. It's totally worth it. As for me, you can always find me on my website, www.davewakeman.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at David Wakeman. If you'd like to get my weekly newsletter all about value, marketing, strategy, creating experiences, um, building and growing your market, you can send me an email. It is my name, dave at davewakeman.com, where you can also send me your comments, your ideas, your thoughts, your concerns, what's good, what's bad, what's not. I always want to hear all of it, okay? Um, Finally, if you dig what I'm doing here on the podcast, I'd love it if you subscribe. You can find me on iTunes. You can find me in a lot of all the places, I think, a lot of all the places where you get podcasts. Um, Subscribe, and if you'd be so kind as to leave a review because the reviews are really helpful. Um, And make sure you visit our sponsor, Booking Protect, by going to www.bookingprotect.com to find out how you can create a better buying experience for your customers. You can give them peace of mind on the ticket, on their ticket purchases or on their experience booking and how maybe you can create a new source, uh, source of revenue for your clients. And until next time, take it easy and I'll see you again soon.